This episode is supported by True Leaf Market, sellers of heirloom and organic garden seeds since 1974. We all know keeping your soil in good heart is vital for good harvests. And now is a great time to rehab your garden by growing a cover crop. Cover crops improve soil quality in a sustainable way, boosting biomass and soil bacteria, adding nutrients, attracting beneficial insects, improving soil structure, and so much more. To get your free PDF of True Leaf Market's Beginner's Guide to Growing Cover Crops, visit trueleafmarket.com and search for Cover Crop Guide. And you can order your cover crops online now at trueleafmarket.com using promo code OTL15 to save 15% on cover crop seeds. That's trueleafmarket.com. Enter OTL15 for 15% off cover crops. Some restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Jane Perone and my family got sick of me talking about plants fast forward five years and here we are it's on the ledge podcast this week we look at the succulent rosettes of the aeonium family and I answer not one but two ficus elastica questions Thanks to everyone who donated plants and came to my plant swap jointly with the plant rescuer, Sarah Gerard-Jones. It was a fun event. We were a bit panicky at the start that literally no one was going to turn up and then people did turn up and we ended up with lots of plants. In fact, we had quite a few plants left over. Those have been sold and given away locally and also have been passed on to another local plant swap where I live. So nothing has gone to waste. And great news, we raised £270 for the World Land Trust, which is a fantastic charity. Check out a link in the show notes if you want to find out more about what they do, but they're saving rainforests around the world, which, as I'm sure you know, is pretty important work. The other big news for me this week is that the cover of my forthcoming book, Legends of the Leaf, is out It is gorgeous. It features the illustrations that are within by the lovely Helen Entwistle. And it's got a black background with a green foiled title and a melange of Swiss cheese plants, Sansevieria, Aspidistra, Oxalis and Ivy, all kind of massing around the title and my name and the subtitle. So I think it looks fab. I hope you agree. I'll put a link in the show notes for you to go and check that out. You can still pre-order a copy. I think the supporter list will be closing in the next month or so. So if you haven't pledged, it's a good time to do so. You will still be able to buy the book in all the conventional places too. But if you go for this version, you can get a signed copy or you can get a set of postcards of all the illustrations. So there's some great supporter rewards available. And also out today is a new edition of The Plant Ledger, my email newsletter about the UK houseplant scene. 
you can subscribe to this at janeperone.com forward slash ledger and you get a free in-depth guide to fungus gnats into the bargain. So if you want all the news from the UK houseplant world, shops opening, shutting, new plants, new products, interesting botany stories, this is the place to get it all in one place in your inbox every other Friday. last couple of weeks traveling around finally getting seriously back into the world of in-person interviews and the first of those interviews is coming up today it's with Melly Lewis who lives in a beautiful village in Shropshire and she is the national collection holder of Aeoniums a wonderful genus of plants mainly from the Canary Islands commonly known as the tree house leek. There are nearly 700 of these national plant collections based in the UK, Ireland and the Channel Islands and they're helping to conserve cultivated plants and make sure that species and cultivars are not lost into the mists of time which as we know does happen and there's no one better to interview about a particular plant genus than somebody who collects large numbers of them and keeps meticulous records. So Melly was a brilliant interviewee and I know you're going to love this interview. So in your mind's eye, take yourself to a charming Shropshire village, a very old house with a beautiful conservatory attached. And there we find the lovely Melly Lewis. We're in your conservatory. It's a box of delights in here. Wow. (laughs) I mean... I'm it's like a it's like a sweet box from my dreams the tuck shop of succulents here what a beautiful collection oh thank I don't you, know Jane. what where to start tell no. me tell me how where this all began your national collection oh, gosh well it, it began when when I was much younger back in the 1980s and uh, I was working very part-time in a uh, particularly beautiful um woodland garden and the head gardener there had thrown out some plants to make room for his own national collection, actually, which was a collection of trilliums. So he'd thrown a load of stuff on the compost heap, and anything that landed on that compost heap was up for grabs. And uh, I was with another gardener, and he picked up this plant, and he said, ooh, this looks like a melee plant, and throws it in my general direction. <laughs> and he was right. I noticed it. I have never seen anything like it before. So it was sort of, um, it was obviously a succulent, but it was like a little tree and it seemed to smile at me. And <laughs> it also made me think of sort of dinosaurs and otherworldly things. So that came home with me, potted it up, popped it into my um, plant conservatory and I've not been without an aeonium ever since. Well, I can tell <laughs> that it's kind of exploded from there, from this so, amazing collection. Yeah, so what plant was that then? Do you know what? Do you remember what that actually was? Yeah, um, it took several trips because back then, obviously, we didn't have the internet, so I had to keep going to the library, and eventually, I narrowed um, narrowed it down to um, Aeonium arboreum, and I found that in a cactus book. Um, but it took quite a few weeks of going through different, you know, books on plants because, you know, not, nothing much was written about them back mm. then. Mm. They were, you know, not very well known. 
I think they've come a bit more to the fore in popularity these days, haven't they? I think most of us, maybe the sort of number one Ionium that we might have seen is uh, Schwarzkopf. Absolutely. Um, That's probably the one that catches people's eye first. But what I'm sensing from looking at this beautiful collection is just the range of different leaf sizes, colours and shapes. Yeah, yeah. Well, Schwarzkopf really um, was the, the forerunner for Aeoniums in cultivation. So that was found uh, by a German gentleman in a Dutch garden centre in somewhere in the 1950s, and he put that plant into cultivation. It found its way to America, and there a chap called John Caitlin, Jack Caitlin, um, he then crossbred Schwarzkopf with lots of other species and came up with lots of cultivars which are popular today. So, yeah, Schwarzkopf is probably, you know, the, the forerunner of yeah. aeoniums in cultivation. Mm-hmm. And it's a gorgeous aeonium itself. It's really easy. It's really great if you want to start off because, um, you know, it, it's sort of, it's less fussy. It's easy mm-hmm. to grow. Well, that's yeah. good to know. That's a good starting point. Yeah. And it does have those amazing, really dark purple it leaves, does, which yes. are absolutely yeah. stunning. Uh, that said, though, I mean, there are lots of things here that I have never seen before. No. I, I'm, I'm looking around and wondering whether when people come into this collection, there's a particular plant that draws people's eye and people tend to flock around. I mean, this is gorgeous. I'm looking down yeah, at this. that's... Um... That has probably got its um, origins with Schwarzkopf. It's called Big Bang. And basically, it's kind of a reverting plant. So it was once purple, but it's reverting back to green. So it has these sort of slashes of green colour and, and starry sort of sparkles of green. So it's it's really interesting. It's just really a freak of nature. I love that. Yeah. And uh, the Big Bang, that is the perfect name. That yeah, is the it does look like an explosion, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a very interesting plant. This is Aeonium arboreum albovarigatum. It's um a little tree-like um Aeonium. So it has um lots of little branches off and these beautiful rosettes of cream and limey green sometimes almost white and um researching aeoniums um i found this in the duchess of beaufort's collection and dated 1699 so probably one of the earliest recordings back in the uk of an aeonium Mm. and uh, basically it was a sport um from a um plant that she'd been given from portugal she just snapped a bit off and, and away it went. So, yeah, probably one of the oldest Aeoniums, and I think it's really beautiful. A lot of people are drawn to that. I love your banner here because it gives you a really good indication of the, how, where <laughs> how they this grow. plant grows. Yes. So t- tell me yeah. a bit about this plant in the wild. Right, well, um, a lot of the, the um, Aeoniums that we know of come from the Canary Islands. Um, the Canary Islands are uh, a beautiful set of volcanic islands off the west coast of Africa. And uh, basically, they're just big volcanoes, each island. And it's really interesting because each island has its own species. And at each level of the island, as you go higher and higher, you get different species, which have adapted 
to that unique environment at that level. So um, people tend to think of Aeonians as being sun lovers in dry, arid areas. Yeah, some are. But some grow in the laurel cloud forests and in the pine forests right high up and are used to being in much colder, wetter conditions. Sometimes dry, but with a lot of moisture in the air. Ah, that's fascinating. Yeah. I'd love to go to the Canary Islands in search of aeoniums. Yeah. Is it, are there many, are they, is their habitat threatened? Are they sort of struggling? They, it's extremely threatened. Mm. In fact, I think aeoniums are one of the most threatened plants on the planet. Really? And um, it's something that I'm, I'm, you know, really keen on talking about because um, it upsets me greatly. Mm. Um, you know, I wish the Spanish government would do a little bit more to help protect them. I'm seeing an enormous flower spike on this uh, banner, this wonderful yes. banner, which is, it's reminding me of Sempervivum flowers, the same kind of style of flower, absolutely massed with flowers for yeah. pollinators to yeah. enjoy. This is a plant that gives this one big display, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Another monocarpic plant. We've been, seeing, yeah. been talking about a lot of monocarpic plants yes. on the podcast recently. yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. And they are closely related to Sempervivum, so you're yeah. right, yeah. Mm. So once they've flowered, that is it. But what you're left with is just millions of tiny little seed that get dispersed and and there you go again, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. I was yeah. reading something about monocarpic plants saying that they often live in, what was the word that used, sort of unstable habitats. And yes. that's why they do this approach, which makes sense. Yes. You get millions of seed, seed they've come yeah. up to flower, yeah. and then... Those loads of seedlings can then be dispersed, yeah, in just different just, ways, ma- yeah. yeah. And some are some are going to make it, some aren't, Mount, yeah, yeah. So some are dispersed on the wind. There's little geckos that run around the plant looking for a meal, and um, seeds get caught on their little feet, so they oh. get dispersed that way. And of course, birds and yeah. 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 Oh, that's glorious. Well, yeah. uh, what does it mean to be a national collection holder in terms of what you have to do? You, do you have to maintain a certain number of plants of each species and cultivar? Yeah. Um, it's good to have three of each plant. Um, you know, there are pests and diseases. You can get the watering wrong, especially with the British weather, you know, Um We've just had that horrendous heat wave, and then here in Shropshire, we had an absolute deluge of rain, which killed a lot of my plants off. Oh, really? So, yeah, you have to have backups, and, mm. um, yeah, um, each plant has its own little registration number, so I can easily look them up and identify them and see where I am with my collection. When you're cultivating these plants, I mean, I can see that you've got a range of, of terracotta pots and plastic pots yeah. here, and we're inside this light, airy conservatory. Yeah. Yeah. What's your top advice for anyone who's perhaps had an aeonium in the past and hasn't, hasn't made it? <laughs> uh, well, they do like to be outside during the summer months. So although they're largely a house plant, if when... June, July and August, mm-hmm. pop it outside, it'll love it. Um, they're not frost hardy, so you have to bring them in. Um, and then um, it's getting the watering right, really, and getting their growing medium right. So I use um, um, 50% grit, 
50% compost, a nice peat-free compost. And um, if we're in hot weather, I don't water. Because in their own natural environment, in the heat, they would just go into a dormancy. So don't water them in, in, in strong hot weather. When things start to cool down a bit, pop them in the shade and just start spraying them and trickling a little bit of water and don't give them a deluge because if you wait, try and wake them up by doing that, that it can rot them off. So oh, just great. gently start that watering again and then, then suddenly they'll wake up. As soon as the weather starts cooling off this time of the year, you can see that um, they're waking up like in this one. You can see that... The, although it's a purple rosette, there's a lot of green in the middle and that's because it's just had a little bit of a growing spurt. It's interesting about the watering because I think a lot of people think, oh my gosh, it's really hot, they need tonnes of water now. And obviously that might be a key mistake to make. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, I mean, they're born survivors. They can manage without the water. They can manage for a long, long time. In, you know, in the Canary Islands, they will go months and months without being watered. Um, in the UK, it's a little bit different. They don't have that long period of dormancy. But like I say, if we've had a really hard spell of dry weather, it's best not to um, give them anything to drink. And do you prefer the terracotta pots? You've got a lot of plants in terracotta here. Do you find that's better for keeping the roots from getting too waterlogged? I, I like terracotta pots for a couple of reasons. One, aeoniums tend to be a bit top heavy so a, a terracotta pot's a bit heavier it helps um you know balance the plant a bit better and also the uh, aeonium roots like to adhere themselves to the to the terracotta so um you know in the wild you see them growing on um the roofs of houses which have got terracotta slates on the roof so they just like it yeah yeah it's 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 a fantastic display i think some people might also be caught out by worrying about the shape of these plants and and what they need to do whether their plant gets they consider their plants getting too tall or maybe leaning over to one side Schwarzkopf in particular grows very tall and leggy and I get this question a lot what do I do with it you know it's too big and people put them in the garage over the winter and then they go green and then they collapse and die (laughs) so the best thing to do really is if your plant's getting too tall too leggy is to chop it so chop off the rosette put that to one side let the wound callus over and then pop it into a really dry gritty mix And within a couple of weeks, it will have roots and then you can start watering it and either pot it on or leave it in what you've you've put it into root. And and there you've got a new plant. The stalk that you're left with from where you chopped off that rosette should send out um, some fresh little Mm -hmm. rosettes. So they start with like a little pinprick, you'll see, (laughs) and then away they go. And indeed, you've ended up you you end up with these wonderful sort of fireworks of uh, yeah. of the rosettes coming out the top, which is absolutely yeah. amazing. We'll be back with Melly Lewis and more Aeonium chat shortly. But now it's time for question of the week, and it's a ficus double header: two figs for the price of one. The first one came in on the old Instagram today from a chap called Matt. And it was the plant equivalent of a 999 call. 
And it concerns a new rubber plant, Ficus elastica, and it's started to bend dramatically. It's drooped. A droopy ficus is not a desirable look, is it? So Matt's wondering what to do. The soil is drying out about one and a half centimetres deep before watering and there's no excess water in the pot. It's just drooping and Matt doesn't know what to do. It's always difficult when you've got a new plant and you bring it home because you just don't know what's been happening to it before you got your hands on it. Has it been in a freezing cold room? Has it been knocked? Has it been waiting for months in low light conditions? Who knows? You have really no clue. So uh, particularly if you're buying it from a, a grower that you're not that familiar with or from a shop, you're coming in there completely blind. But what I told Matt to do is to go to the source of all knowledge when it comes to your plants. Of course, shout out the answer. What am I going to tell Matt to do? Do you know? Yeah, you do. Check the roots. So the best thing to do if your plant is drooping after purchase is have a good old look at those roots. Don't be afraid to make a mess on your floor. Get yourself a little dustpan and brush or a tarp or something so that you're ready for the mess and get that plant out of its pot check those roots and this will give you a great insight into what's really going on now i think there's two paths here either path one we've got matt unpots the plant and discovers that actually that root ball's bone dry at the center I don't know how Matt's been watering, but it may well be that he's been trickling some water onto the top of the soil. And really, that hasn't been penetrating that whole root ball. And as a result, the plant, which has been sitting in a nursery where probably it's been sitting on a bench where the watering system has been a flooding system. So the computer controlled mechanism hits a certain time of day. Water floods the bench. The plant sucks up lots of moisture from below and then the excess water drains away. That's usually how plants in really big production nurseries are watered, which means that the bottom section of the root ball gets really wet. So if you start trickling water on the top, you're only going to encourage roots to grow at the very surface of the soil. And there probably aren't any roots there right now. So that may well be a good reason why Matt's plant is drooping. It's just not getting moisture in the place where it needs to get moisture. The other option, of course, is that the whole thing is actually waterlogged. Good call, Matt, to check that there's not water sitting in the outer cash pot. But really, you can't tell what's happening in that root ball could it be completely waterlogged and soaking? In which case, the root rot has already set in. The plant is unable then to draw water up to support its growth and therefore it wilts. So those are the two scenarios. I've asked Matt to go and have a look and see what he can find and report back. I'm going to bet my bet would be that it's scenario one. The reason I'm betting on that is because generally... Ficus elastica is probably potted in a substrate that's going to become hydrophobic when it's dry. So that could either be coir or peat or a mixture thereof. And once those substrates become dry, they are hydrophobic. So they just repel water and they're hard to properly re-wet. So that is 
what I suspect Matt's facing. The solution, Matt, is just to dunk that whole pot in a bucket of water for an hour or two until you've checked that the water has totally penetrated that root ball. And in the longer term, you might want to repot in a slightly more airy potting mix so that the plant is easier to water and keep at the right level of moisture. Ficus question two is a little bit different. It comes from Grant and Grant's eye-catching subject line was help mutant ficus elastica. And Grant from, I don't know how to say this, Boys, Idaho, B-O-I-S-E. Is it Boys? Was? I don't know. Anyway, he's in Idaho, has got this plant and it's a variegated rubber plant, ficus elastica, same species again was found at a local market and seems to have some kind of variegation that Grant hasn't seen before. It's kind of a green on green effect. Some areas of the leaf, the outer areas of the leaf are dark green and then the inner areas have got paler green. But in that same variegation pattern that you'll recognise from the variegated cultivar tinica, just without the cream parts that you would be used to seeing, So Grant wants to know what this is. What has Grant stumbled upon? And Grant is hoping that this is some new and exciting variety and wants and he's thinking ahead because then he'd like to give it an outlandish name like Gronk or Green Shadow. I think I'm about to burst your bubble, Grant. I suspect that this is just a reverted or semi-reverted tinnica. So the cream variegation has gone and you're left with the two different levels of green. I think that's probably what's going on rather than any kind of new cultivar looking at the plants around it. Uh, It's definitely worth propagating that reverted stem. Air layering is one possible way to do that and get a separate plant with that variegation. Because this variegation is only occurring on a single stem. I don't know if that's because the plant is multi-stem or because there's multiple plants in the same pot. But either way, you could propagate and keep that variegation going. I suspect, as I say, it's a reverted plant, but it could be an interesting, certainly an interesting specimen to keep and keep an eye on. And yeah, it's attractive. It is something different, but I don't think it's any great new innovation grant. I'm sorry about that. And it's worth bearing in mind that, of course, If it is a reverted cream variegated plant, you may find that the cream returns in some of the new leaves. You get the regular tinica look or indeed that the plant gets even greener and just turns plain green eventually. Reversion is a tricksy thing. We don't really know the full reasons why it happens and there could be a lot of different factors involved. But it's a really interesting one. Thanks for sending this, Grant, and keep me posted on what happens with your Gronk. That's the name I'd go for if I was you. That's all for question of the week. If you've got a question for On the Ledge, drop me a line to on the ledge podcast at gmail.com. I mean, Ooh. the what the few ioniums I've had have had problems with mealybugs. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, this must be the bane of your life. It is. Mealybugs are horrible little things because um, they can hide very well. They hide um, underneath the rosette and slowly chomp away. But they are quite easy to get rid of. I um, use finger and thumb a lot and squidge them. 
Um, you can spray them if um, if you're into using pesticides. Um, but yeah, they're, they're fairly easy um, to get rid of. It's just a case of being vigilant and checking your rosettes quite often. Mm. Not so easy to get rid of is vine weevil. Oh, or yes. the evil weevil, as I call it. Because <laughs> yes. they're in the soil. You don't know that they're in there. There's no evidence of them in there. And what they do is they chomp away at the aeonium roots. And one day your aeonium looks really good. And then I'll look at it and think, hmm, you don't look so happy. Oh, no, I know what's going on here. You empty it out and you find that um, all that you're left with, really, is a stalk inside <laughs> the soil. And inside oh, yeah. that stalk are these little white grubs, which again they get fed to the robins around here. And um, well, at least somebody's benefiting. Yeah, but somebody benefits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, they're rough, aren't they? Oh, they're such a pest. Anyway, luckily, aeoniums are quite easy to reroute. So um, I chop off the the, the dead the dead bit. And threw away that soil because I don't know whether there's eggs in that mm-hmm. soil and uh, other um, vine weevil larvae. Um, so give them fresh soil and just start them off again. Um, the other pest is Tortrix moth caterpillar. Um, so you get a little green caterpillar and it's really crafty. <laughs> it eats away at the rosette and um, it can get to the stalk uh, from the rosette end and chomp away and you try and catch this little green caterpillar and it is really fast (laughs) and it moves really quickly and it is really good at hiding so yeah another naughty little pest that gets fed to the robin if i catch it (laughs) yeah i think i've had experiences with those too and you're right they are surprisingly fast fast. you think how can i be outrun by by a little (laughs) green caterpillar (laughs) but it does happen yeah i mean going back to the vine weavers i guess the fact that you might be moving them outside in the summer adds to that risk because you know they are they are a garden pest i know i've got them in my garden yeah you can treat them with biological controls and things but they seem to be endemic and hard to get rid of permanently um and it's that moment where you you sort of like you go to the rosette and then you realize it just lifts clean away Uh, yes (laughs) you think what's happened yeah absolutely you can go out in, in, in on winter evenings. I come in here with a torch, and surprisingly, I can squidge quite a lot mm. of vine weevil that way. The adults, presumably. The ad- that's the yeah. adults that are scurrying yeah. around looking for another plant to destroy. Um, <laughs> oh. So yeah, they, they they get trapped that way by me. But yeah, they're just part of aeonium growing. Um, yes, I have tried the um, nematides, but. Um, Unfortunately, um, you need to drench the plant, mm. and it's not always suitable. Of course, time the right succulent. time to yeah, do that. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's not always a winner for me. No, that's right. I think yeah. that is the problem. Those biological controls it is to do with how moist the soil is, and it really yeah. does have to be evenly moist. Yeah. And then if yeah. it's going to kill your plant like, anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's this pointless act. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's an interesting one. But yeah, they are. They they've got very specific tastes, haven't they? Vine weevils. I find yes. cucurus in the garden. They also yeah. really like. But yeah. when they get their teeth into something, yes, you yeah. know about it. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, 
But as yeah. you say, the birds love those little C-shaped grubs. Yes. So somebody, yeah. somebody does yes. benefit out of it after yeah. all. Yeah, in the winter there's a little robin that will literally sit outside the door going, feed me. Oh, that's so <laughs> lovely. Well, it's such a lovely setting here. You've got such a gorgeous garden. Yeah, um, thank you. And when you have people to visit for the, for open days and things... Do you find that you get any other particular questions about pe- people always have about Ioniums? Anything that people desperately want to know? I think the main question is how to propagate them. Mm. That's what people usually usually want to know. And about um, what soil medium to put them in. People worry about the watering. And, and rightly so, it is a little bit tricky. Um a little bit easier for people on the south coast because they can leave them out longer um, in the sunshine. But um, yeah, I think those are the main main questions really. Um, there are some new varieties which have come in from uh, Korea and China, um, where they've taken um, cultivars and variegated them. Um, well, a process which I'm not really privy to. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's um, it's a little bit disappointing because they've renamed um, plants that are already in cultivation. So instead of saying blushing beauty variegated, they've called them another name like Verna or you know. Mm. Uh, so it's a bit confusing. So. Um, that quite often confuses the public because they'll say, "Oh, I've got this new new plant called Yanning." And you go, yes, that's, you know, um, Blushing Beauty variegated. No, no, it's not. It's Yanning. <laughs> right, no, right. So that takes a little bit of explanation. But they are very beautiful and the, and the variegations are are very really nice from plant to plant. I just wish they'd have stuck with the original cultivar name. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you handle your plants over, over the winter time? Is it like other succulents where you're just going to cut off watering from sort of November to March? Or do yeah, you... I, I, I do tend to restrict the watering over the, the darker months. So December, you know, November, December, January, February. But once we get to towards the end of February, I, I give them all a good water and a little bit of a feed and that kind of kickstarts them again. Usually by that time, they've dropped a lot of the lower leaves and they're looking really quite yucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're glad of that feed and, and, a, and a drop of water. And they start springing back into life. And by the time um, the last frosts have gone, they're ready to go out and they're looking gorgeous again. And do you do you have any kind of heating in here or is it just a question of keeping them frost-free? Well, uh, originally we, we've got underfloor heating in here, but I found that actually that was a little bit too warm for them. Mm. Um, one of the key things, Jane, is ventilation. Mm. Um, you can't have them in a steamy room. They won't like that. It'll, it'll rot off the, the rosettes. So although it's we've got the heating turned almost off in here, it just keeps them above freezing... And I've usually got a window open unless it's really, really, you know, mm. cold. Then I'll, I'll go and shut the window. But, yeah. So ventilation, the most important thing, really. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, as you say, you've just got to think about that na- native environment. And, yeah. Uh, they're, yeah. yeah, they're not, they're not getting uh, living in a humid place, no. um, which is obviously the key yes. factor. Well, I'm just looking around. Are there any particular favourites in here that you want to tell me about? I mean, there's a couple of real sort of large showstoppers, like this pomegranate here. Yes. 
Yeah, that that's uh, that's a like room. a sea monster. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. So it has these sort of army tentacles, doesn't it? With a with a big rosette on the end and these lovely wavy leaves. That's because one of its parents is um, Aeonium undulatum, uh, called undulatum because of the wavy leaves. And that is a big plant. So um, yeah, that's got that parentage. So it's mimicking that, but. Um, yeah, it is. It's a bit of a showstopper, isn't it? One of my mm. favourites, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. I'm a bit of a sucker, clearly, for these stripy ones yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big Bang is rather spectacular, yeah. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Right, moving, um, moving further in... Um, I notice a few non-aeoniums here, uh, but I'll, yes. you know that's that's always going to happen, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I am a sucker for succulents. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's allowed. I think that's yeah. allowed. I, I have reduced. Uh, I've got rid of most of my cat's eyes, sadly, because yeah. of lack of space. space. Yes, yeah. of course, yeah. of course. I do love the species. They're very dear and close to my heart, mm-hmm. so I, I really do like um, growing them. And I think one of my favourite species is Nobelli here. Um, with these great big fat juicy leaves and uh, it's um, it's flowering spike it has really beautiful brick red flowers which is just slightly different Mm. because usually mostly the the flowers are either yellow or pink or white Um, but yeah they're, they're a brick red yeah, yeah, that's that's a real that's a real chonk, as my children yeah, would say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, beautiful yeah. one. Yeah, it doesn't tend to um, branch off or anything. You just get the, just, yeah. that one big juicy rosette. Yeah, you've, it's it's a really beautiful collection, and I mean, do you feel the pressure of trying to make sure that you know you, you feel as the collection holder that you're having oh. to kind of get every cultivar are there lots of oh, new gosh, cultivars yes. coming yeah <laughs> yes um i do feel like there's quite a bit of pressure on me to to keep the standard high yes and to you know as soon as another i'm aware that there's another cultivar out there or maybe um an interspecific hybrid which is a um a baby of two species I, I'm like, oh, I must get that, I must get it, you know. So, <laughs> do people um, send you things? Do you find that people are, do you get some, hold of pl- plants in different ways? I've got some really lovely succulent friends who we share. Um, they send me things, I send them, you know, and we help each other out. I'm very, very lucky, yeah. That is the, well, that's the half the joy, isn't yeah. it, of the, yeah. of the world of uh, yeah. succulents and cacti, yes. is how generous people are. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. well, it's an absolutely gorgeous collection. Is there anything else you wanted to tell me or show me uh i'm just i'm i'm slightly in awe of all the different color and leaf combinations i'm thinking that if i was an artist and i'm not that these would be beautiful to paint yes um, i mean that mardi gras at the top yeah. there the yeah. amazing red margined leaves and then the new yeah. growth with the cream it is a particularly beautiful plant um yeah that, that came over from America about 10 years ago and um, I think it was the, the sort of forerunner for um, all these other sort of variegated, mm. beautiful combinations. Um, yeah, it's, it is. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I think if I could paint, I would <laughs> certainly start off by painting a Mardi Gras. <laughs> yeah, that is really, really yeah. fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your collection oh, with really? me. It's very a delight to see all these beautiful plants and... I'm gonna go back and check my. I think the I think the one I have, which has had terrible mealybug problem, is this kiwi. Yeah. I'm gonna go back. 
and give yeah. it a good yeah. look. Yeah, you need to check under the rosette. Yeah, I think that's where I've been going wrong. And I haven't they, been yeah, curious enough have, looking yeah, for Yeah, that's for where they hide. Oh, <laughs> I know. I mean, but they're so tough. I mean, I think it might get to the point where I just end up chopping everything back completely and... Yeah. Um, and giving it a restart yeah, yes, but at least you yeah. can do that with these plants well That's you can the yeah yes yeah i mean if you chop off a, a rosette and it has got mealybug just give it a soak in some warm soapy water yes yeah and uh, that should get rid of them yeah yeah they are i mean you, you've yeah. got to admire mealybugs really yeah <laughs> they are absolutely tenacious yeah i mean they're very yeah. good at what they do they um, are i mean i just don't know how they get there <laughs> I know. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. One day you think oh, there's nothing there, yeah. and the next minute they're just roaming yeah, about. This little crustacean of fluffy white horribleness. I know. And then when you sort of away. get down to the. I mean, I didn't really realise until a while ago when I did an episode on them that, you know, they're kind of like a scale insect underneath all that fluff. Yes, yes. And if yes. you sort of dissolve them in alcohol, you see that scale yes. and you realise, oh, yeah, uh, that's what it actually it is. is. But, yes, um, yeah, yeah. They are. As I say, something I that, that we all have that, to deal with. Yeah, I think they're a relative of the cochineal beetle. Yes, they? That, yeah. that was used for the red dye in sweeties and jellies and things. <laughs> if only they were that useful. But yes. <laughs> sadly, they just come to test our patience. But, yes, um, yeah. But yeah. I guess at least it means you're you have it encourages you to examine your plants closely. Well, it does. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And uh, maybe if you're looking for mealybugs, you might spot other problems at the same well, time. True. And what I, one of the things I find fascinating about aeoniums is the cilia around the leaf margin. Mm. So quite often when I've been looking for mealybugs and pests, I go, oh, look at the look at those little eyelashes on that plant. They're so beautiful. Mm. And I like to take photographs of those and, and sort of um, blow them up. And they're really interesting structures. And they're a good way of identifying plants as well mm. within the within the genus because each one has got a different sort of set of cilia. Do you have to be a little bit careful with touching the leaves in terms of some of them having, you know, damaging the the surface, or, um, or are they? Uh, and I'm just thinking of other succulents where they've got that more of that farina no. type uh, mm. look. No, um, generally they're pretty tough. Yeah, um, you can leave a, a, a fingerprint on some of them, but. No, they're, they're fine. Yeah. Well, they're absolutely beautiful, Melly. And thank, thank you so much for sharing them with me. Oh, it's been welcome. a tonic for my eyes this morning, <laughs> seeing all these beautiful succulents. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks so much to Melly Lewis for giving me a delightful tour of her collection. And do visit the show notes, as always, to see beautiful pictures of that Mardi Gras, pomegranate and the rest of her wonderful collection. And if you're in the UK, Melly does hold the occasional open day too and visits by arrangement. So find out more about that uh, in her national collection link, which is also at janeperone.com. And if you're a Patreon subscriber at the legend and superfan level, you can go and listen to an extra chunk of chat where we talk about growing aeoniums from seed and also some hybridising chat. Semponiums, anyone? Also in that extra leaf, I talk about three plants that I got in the plant swap. One was a part of the swap and, and the other two came from a very special plant collector who's been amazingly generous. And you can find out about those rare aroids 
in an extra leaf. Intriguing, I know. And don't forget to join me every Tuesday evening, 9pm UK time, that's 4pm Eastern Standard Time. Houseplant Hour happens over on Twitter. It's hosted either by me or by the houseplant guru, Lisa Eldred Steinkoff. And we love to have you there sharing your plants, expertise, chat and tears of joy and sadness when you find things go right or wrong with your plant collections. Just follow at Houseplant Hour and at Jane Perone to get involved. That's all for this week's show. I will be back next Friday. Until then, bye! The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Young by Kumiku, and Whistle by Benjamin Banger. The ad music was Whistling Rufus by The Heftone Banjo Orchestra. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons, Visit the show notes for details.